This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, April 7th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. Backtracking on last week's vows to shut the border and overhaul health care immediately marked a feisty first week of April for President Trump. Can't come in. Our country is full. What can you do? We can't handle anymore. Our country is full. Can't come in. I'm sorry. This week could be even more contentious as the bickering over when and what in the Mueller report gets released. We'll get the latest from the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, and the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Plus, what's appropriate behavior and what's not when it comes to politicians? As President Trump tweaks former vice president and potential 2020 challenger Joe Biden's mea culpa video about his history of touching, Biden makes light of that controversy. By the way, he gave me permission to touch him. And tries to explain his style of personal politics. I'm sorry I didn't understand more. I'm not sorry for any of my intentions. We'll talk about the outlook for the U.S. economy with White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow and hear from the newest candidate in the 2020 Democratic contest, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan. I need your help. I need your support. I need your love. I need your voice. Let's go take back the White House. Plus, we'll have analysis on all the news of the week just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. As Washington awaits Attorney General William Barr's release of a redacted version of the Mueller report, expected by mid-April or sooner, we begin with House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler, who joins us this morning from New York. Uh, Congressman, do you expect to receive the report this week and, and what happens once you do? Well, I don't know when we're going to receive it. Uh, uh, Attorney General Barr said by the middle of April at could be the end of this week or beginning of next week. But the important thing is not uh, do we get it this week or next week. The important thing is what do we get. We are demanding and we have a right, uh, Congress has a right to the entire report with no redactions whatsoever so we can see what's there. We're already hearing uh, leaks from the Mueller uh, uh, team that, that didn't leak at all for 22 months but now seem to be, be very unhappy. We're hearing leaks that uh, Barr misrepresented uh, uh, in, in his uh, so-called summary letter, what's in the report, that he sugarcoated it, that he made it look more favorable for the president than it was. Uh, we're hearing reports, NBC reported, that uh, uh, some of the Mueller people were saying that um, it depicted uh, uh, the Russian campaign, I'm sorry, the Trump campaign as having been thoroughly uh, uh, infiltrated by, by, by a, uh, an intelligence operation of the Russian government. We don't know. We're entitled to see it because Congress uh, represents the nation and Congress has to take action uh, on any of it. So we're entitled to see all of it. 
Uh, now, well, the some attorney general said be... he will re- he will hand over almost 400 pages, but redact the classified information and well, anything is, no, uh, is, uh, obtained said, through is... a grand jury. He has said he will redact four classifications of information. Right. Our position is that he should redact none of it. Congress, the Judiciary Committee, in every in every similar situation in the past, whether with Nixon or with Clinton or with many other situations, the Judiciary Committee has gotten all the information, all the underlying uh, documents and evidence, and the Judiciary Committee has decided. What of that cannot be released to the public? Do you expect that you would have to go to a court to force the release of the grand jury information? Uh, uh, well, yes, we would have to go to okay. a court to get the, the release of the grand jury information. But that has happened uh, successfully in every previous situation. And it's not up to the attorney general to decide with respect to that or with respect to uh, other material that he decides Congress can't see. It's not up to him. And remember, he is a biased uh, person. He is someone who is an agent of the administration, is an appointee, a political appointee of the president, uh, whose interests he may very well be protecting here. So so do you actually then reject the entire summary? Do you believe there is possible criminal collusion? Well, the attorney general said there was no uh, there was no uh, obstruction of justice. He decided that Mueller did not say that. Right. And your character, Uh, you're dismissing what he has said. I dismiss what he said. He's an he's a biased uh, defender of the administration, and he's entitled to be a defender of the administration, but he is not entitled to withhold the evidence from Congress. And by the way, let me repeat one other thing. Uh, when you say there's no, no, when he says there's no collusion, there may very well not have been uh, evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, which mm-hmm. is a very high judicial standard, uh, of criminal conspiracy with the Russians. But there was, in plain sight, open collusion with the Russians. When the president's son and campaign manager and son-in-law go to a meeting with the Russians to receive, quote, dirt on Hillary as part of the Russian government's uh, uh, attempt to help the Trump campaign, and that was in the email inviting them to the meeting, they go to the meeting, they say, we want that information. That is collusion. Whether it's criminal conspiracy is another question. Right. But it's and, and it was that on that collusion. question of criminality, mm-hmm. whether it could be prosecuted, that the report was uh, turned in. Those were the conclusions there made. I mean, it, it sounds like when you were referencing what was the reporting from The New York Times and The Washington Post about some of Mueller's investigators feeling mm-hmm. that their their impressions and their conclusions were not accurately uh, portrayed in the attorney general's summary. Are you going to call those investigators before the committee? Are you going to talk to any of them? After we read the information in the, in the report, we'll make the decision as to whether that is necessary. After we read the, the, the information in the report, we'll probably want to call uh, Mueller to discuss it. Uh, we'll, we'll be having Barr in front of the committee before that, but uh, certainly reading the, the, the report and the underlying evidence will give us more information as to what questions we should ask Mueller or any of the other people who work with him. But is the bottom line here is you acknowledge that what was put forward may not be indictable, but big picture, you're saying there are things in this report that could be impeachable, grounds for impeachment. Well, who knows? Uh, there could be grounds for impeachment. There could be grounds for other action. There could be things that the American people ought to know. You know, you can commit shameful acts. You can commit complete betrayals of the public interest without committing impeachable acts. And if you did that, the public ought to know that, too. Um, so, um, and, and the standard, the standard here uh, is not an impeachment. Uh, the standard is what was uh, did. The standard is uh, we have to protect the public 
from presidential misconduct, from anybody else's, and the public has to know about it. Uh, and we have to get all the evidence so we can, subject to, to protecting right. certain uh, classified information, uh, decision w- uh, that the Judiciary Committee has always made in the past and can make now, the public ought to know all of it. As you know, Republicans uh, challenge some of these uh, disclosures uh, on the legal basis, but also point to some of the comments you've made in the past uh, back during the impeachment proceedings for Bill Clinton when you said grand jury material represents statements which may or may not be true and it would be unfair to release. So it yes. seems like your view the- has changed. My view has not Why? changed at all. My view has not changed at all because they're comparing apples and oranges. In 1998, the Judiciary Committee was given all the information that we're seeking now. It was given all the information and all the underlying uh, evidence. And the question was, should all that information be released to the public? And I said then that no, some of that grand jury information should not be released to the public. Now we are advocating that all of that information should be given to the committee. We are not advocating that all the grand jury information should be go to the public. And you In believe that the committee Ken would... Ken Starr had given everything to the committee and had already had that. The committee already had all that information, including the grand jury information, and the debate was It was an was independent over council, which public. was structured differently since the special That's counsel irrelevant. reports to the That's Justice irrelevant. Department. That, but but do you, are you arguing irrelevant. that the information, if it's shared with the committee, would not leak publicly? Can you guarantee that? Certainly. Some, some of it would not leak publicly. Some of it would be decided. Uh, some grand jury information would, would, you know, first of all, some grand jury information would be, presumably be decided, must be released by court order uh, to the public because the public interest would outweigh the privacy interest. That's happened in the past. That might happen again in the future. But the, again, uh, the committee has a very good record of protecting information which it decides to protect. Lastly, and, and that's uh, been the case in the past. The president's uh, former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, has uh, released a memo, or his lawyers did, saying that he has 14 million files that have damaging information about the president. He's asking for help in getting his sentence reduced or at least delayed in some way. Um, do you want the information Michael Cohen has, and will you offer him the help he's asking for? Certainly we'd want the information that Michael Cohen or anybody else has that's relevant to the Uh, to this question. Uh, Whether we can give him that sort of help or not, I don't know. All right, Congressman, thank you. We're going to turn now to President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who is here with me. Uh, Would you like to respond to the congressman who says he has the right and the committee has the right for all of this information? Do you agree that the public has the right? I I would like him to get all the information. Uh, Including the things that are protected, grand grand jury material. But I can't control that and I can't change the law. And the attorney general has a difficult uh, job and I didn't appreciate his uh, suggestion the attorney general would be biased. I know Bill Barr for many, many years. I think people in this town know him. He's a man of the highest integrity. Also, everything he's doing is also being uh, run by Rod Rosenstein. Mm-hmm. That, that report was put out by Barr and Rosenstein. The, the four-page Ro- summary. Yeah, Rosenstein started the investigation, supervised the investigation, allowed the special counsel to do things that I thought were kind of off base. Mm-hmm. He certainly gave them full scope to do their entire investigation. There'd be no reason why Rod Rosenstein would sign his name to something that says they found no evidence of collusion, no evidence of obstruction. They couldn't reach a conclusion on obstruction. So then Rosenstein and Barr did no obstruction. I I guarantee you, except for little quibbles, I'm not worried about the report at all. There's no way those two good lawyers would have written that kind of letter if there's any issue. 
Is the president waiving all executive privilege? I mean, he said publicly he thinks this report should be made public. The president's cooperation with this investigation was unprecedented. Bill Clinton fought every single subpoena. For, and, and it was a knockdown, drag-out battle. But then he did ultimately sit down and he, do That's why he had to. The president never did, though. But that's why the president didn't have to, <laughs> because they couldn't have won in court. They had every piece of information. They couldn't suggest a question they didn't have the answer to, because we supplied him with the answers to everything. And the president did answer questions in writing. So I, I want to ask you about that. But to be clear here, is the president waiving all executive privilege? As far as I know, he has. But he, he can't waive all executive privilege. There are also uh, other people that have executive privilege. So there will involved. be information withheld I from this report. I don't know. Margaret, I don't know. The attorney general has said he's going to put out the maximum amount of information possible. Mm-hmm. The only thing that will stop him will be legal barriers. I hope there are a few because I don't like what Jerry Nadler just did innuendo and there must be more. Look, Jerry Nadler prejudged this case a year ago. He was, he was, he was talking about impeachment. He was overheard on Amtrak talking about impeachment well before the report came out. So when he talks about the attorney general being biased, my goodness, and on his committee, he's got some of the most rabid people that hate Trump. This is, we're not going before a court here. We're going before a political body. Well, do you, do that you is fear that? Highly partisan and has made up its mind. You've, you and the president have welcomed the four-page summary. Do you think that the 400-page report is going to be more damaging? No, I don't think so. So you, when you say you... I'll su- give you another reason I don't think so. You support so. the disclosure, when, when though. When the leakers... Will the president tell the attorney general to... The president has left it to public. the attorney general. The pre- president can't make the decisions about... But you about, just said that he's not the decided president has on told the attorney general uh, has told everybody, the world, I am comfortable with everything being released. Now, the president can't change the law. Now the attorney general has to apply that. Mm-hmm. He, is, he wants to do maximum transparency. I'm sure we'll get just about all of it. I hope we get all of it. Do you think then that the, the interview that the president didn't sit for but provided written answers to, will you make those answers public if you I'm support not make anything full transparency? Public. The attorney general will make it public if he believes it should be made public. Well, can't the president decide to make his own answers public? Once it's all over, maybe. Let's see what the attorney general does first. Why don't we wait until the attorney general files the report. And then if we want to complain about it, we can complain about it. I, I have so another... I have another. there will be no evidence of obstruction of justice in these 400 I'm going to tell pages. you why I'm confident there'll be no evidence of anything really bad. Because the leakers, and Nadler was wrong about that too, the Mueller, Mueller uh, group has been leaking all along. How did CNN end up at Roger Stone's Ray. Well, they have their own explanation as to good oh, reporting there. Yeah. But for 22 yeah. months, I you know. have to acknowledge a special counsel's office did Hell not no. leak. Hell no. I got plenty of, they're saying this, they're saying that. They knew all about our battle over but, questions. But you like, they knew about the positions we took. But, but you're, you're impugning their credibility like and their conduct, but you are actually accepting and supporting their Far conclusions. Far more credible, yes. Those, because, that's a bit contradictory. No, it's not at all, Margaret. <laughs> Uh, he was You're clear. You're accusing them of bias, but you agree with their conclusions. And that's because there's no evidence. Uh, if, if they could have found anything, if Andrew Weissman, who was crying at Hillary Clinton's losing party, couldn't find anything, if uh, Ms. Ree, who was counsel to the Clinton Foundation, couldn't find anything, believe me, there was nothing there. And they tried to make things up. They put so much pressure on people, Keeping them in solitary so Republic, confinement. Republicans shouldn't be pushing back on full disclosure of the report. No Republican is pushing back on full disclosure of the report. I haven't heard any Republican that isn't in favor of well, full disclosure. Well, in terms of the, the Jerry Nadler's making an argument. Jerry Nadler is making it uh, uh, on uh, different uh, grounds. Of constitutional a phony, oversight. He's making a phony argument. 
Jerry Nadler can't change the law. The law is the law. The attorney general has to apply the law. Jerry Nadler is a biased, completely predetermined. Does he want us to believe that he's going to give us a fair hearing? He announced that some of his members have announced a year ago that he should be impeached. He just said he wants to have perhaps some of the investigators come before his committee and answer questions. Uh, do you support Why, for that? For a political show? No, but it, why? why not? They it, have oversight. We, inv- we, Mueller. If some people in the Justice Department did think the president committed obstruction of justice, shouldn't they be heard out? And if there's nothing to it, well, why not allow can, it? Can we w- listen to the report first? The four leakers or the leakers who leaked to The New York Times that there are problems in the report. Did you notice they leaked no specific? I can't imagine that the reporter didn't ask. Give, give me an example. Well, give me an example of something in the report that suggests that the president obstructed justice. Some have no argued example. that it's, it's almost forcing Barr's hand, though, to follow through and not keep that oh, public. Oh, oh. But in other private. words, these people who hate him, that were willing to commit close to a criminal act to say they have bad things in the report, if they have some dynamite, they're not going to give it to the guy? Do you, is, the president, like is the president considering a pardon for Michael Flynn? The president is not considering pardons at this time. And he wouldn't? For Michael Flynn? You mean ever, 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 ever in the whole history of his presidency? You've not discussed it. How do it? I know? You uh, haven't discussed it. Yes, we discussed it at the very beginning and decided the whole question of pardons would be put off. On Michael Cohen, you just heard uh, Chairman Nadler there talk about uh, the offer that was made by Cohen's attorneys to come in and provide some of this information. Yeah, that's pretty hilarious. They have text messages, apparently recordings, what? according to the attorney. What if, is if, on if, if this? Jerry Nadler wants to convince me he's interested in the truth, then he should be recommending a prosecution of Cohen for his last appearance before the Congress when he lied about. Well, he's I going never... to jail. He's no, going no, to no. Prison wait, for that. Wait. But, but you, are you, you confident though that Cohen be... doesn't have damaging information in Margaret, these millions Margaret. of? of Bites, he claims he's going he to jail. But after he got convicted of that, and after he promised to cooperate and tell the truth, he went before Congress and he made a fool out of the committee. He was asked, did you ever, did you ever ask for a job? He said, no, I never asked for mm-hmm. a job. Yes, he asked for a job. He asked me to get him a job. Mm-hmm. He asked 100 other people to get him a job. And there is a tape, contemporaneous tape, with Chris Cuomo, in which he says, I want to be chief of staff. And Cuomo says, good luck, Mike. I hope you get it. Direct, absolute perjury, trying to make himself look like he's not a disgruntled office seeker. So you Material don't think he has information. anything no, damaging I have, to the I president have no, in all these I have no confidence that these people care about the truth. Chairman Cummings told him. But as to what Chairman Cohen has. Co- please. Chairman Cummings told Cohen when he started his testimony, very dramatically, if you lie, I don't know if he said I'll hang you to a cross or I'll throw the book at you or I haven't seen him throw anything at him. He lied about a job. He lied about a pardon. He mm-hmm. lied about foreign representation. He lied about three other things. I'm still not things. getting an answer on that question of whether you think there's damaging information that Cohen has. We I, have to leave I, the interview Cohen here. has already spilled his guts. So you don't think he has anything? He has nothing all right. at all incriminating on the... Here, here's the disappointing thing for Jerry Nadler Mr. Mayor, and all the, de- all the Democrats. The president did nothing wrong. Mr. They Mayor. are chasing him, harassing him. This is a total political endeavor now. If we put out that whole report, or almost all of it, and it clears the president, they should not be continuing this investigation. It's a political witch hunt. All right, Mr. Mayor, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back in a minute with the latest Democrat to enter the presidential race, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. 
The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. We're back with Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, who officially announced his presidential bid yesterday. He joins us this morning from Pittsburgh. Uh, Welcome to Face the Nation. You've promised to unify the country. You just heard the possibility of grounds for impeachment in this potential Mueller report disclosure. Would that hurt your attempts to unify the country? Well, it's never a uh, pretty process. I hope we can get it behind us. I hope that there's a good deal of transparency. I don't think that's too much to ask, but I think as long as we re refocus on the economic problems that are facing most people in the United States, that can be a unifying thing. We start listening to to each other. We start respecting each other. That's going to be most important in unifying the country. You spoke about in your launch the closure of a GM plant, uh, inspiring your decision to run. Are you promising to bring manufacturing jobs back to the Midwest? Isn't the future more in a service-based economy? My focus is going to be on creating an industrial policy in the United States. We are getting our clocks cleaned by China right now when it comes to electric vehicles, when it comes to solar panels, when it comes to additive manufacturing. These are areas that are growing significantly. And for electric vehicles, there's 2 million electric vehicle cars now. There's going to be 30 million in 2030. Who's going to make those cars? I want us to be making those cars in the industrial Midwest. How do you do uh, that? Government subsidies? Well, it's a public-private partnerships. You sit down with the private sector. You work with the Department of Energy, the Department of Defense, the National Science Foundation. You sit down and you put a long-term strategy together. And then you work with the venture capital community so that the investments are driven into distressed communities, the old coal communities, steel communities, rubber and auto communities that have lost jobs the last 30 years. There's been no plan to help those communities at all. That's going to be a priority for me, and we're going to get it done. So that's a yes to government subsidies? It, it, well, you have tax incentives, you have the okay. tax code, you have, yeah, the help from, it, it's going to be a public-private partnership. It's not going to be all government, no centralized planning, and it's not going to be all free market cut taxes for the top 1% and hope some crumbs get sprinkled to the Youngstown, Ohio's of the world. It's going to be a, a complete, comprehensive strategy on how we dominate these markets, not China. Uh, Former President Barack Obama was speaking in Germany uh, recently over the weekend and said that he's concerned about rigidity. That was the word he used among liberal Democrats who are kind of hurting the party, arguing amongst themselves was the gist of what he says. Do you agree with him? 
Sometimes. I mean, sometimes that can happen. But as long as we're united on our values, look, we got to make progress. Here's the key. Progress. We're going backwards. I'm an old quarterback. Look, you got to get first downs. You got to move the ball down the field if you're going to score. And we're going backwards right now. So we've got to find issues we can we can unify around and pass them and move the ball down the field. What is that? Well, like for single payer, for example, I've been a supporter of single payer, but I think if we can get it down. But you also support the Affordable Care Act. I did because that was moving the ball down the field. Uh, that was providing more health care for more people, making it more affordable. So you want so both. So if we, I'm sorry. You you want both options? How does that work? Well, when you're sitting there negotiating, I can't negotiate with you right now with the House and the Senate and the White House, but I want more people to have more affordable coverage. I want there to be some kind of public option where middle-class people who work hard and pay by the rules can get some help so they're not getting squeezed by the pharmaceutical companies and the healthcare companies. That's what I want. And so what does that look like after it goes through the process? It ended up with the Affordable Care Act, so I voted for it. But you know what? I also supported the public option uh, in the Affordable Care Act, but we couldn't get it done. I'm saying let's move the ball forward. President Trump and the Republicans right now want to kick people off of health care. That's going in the wrong direction. So progressives, independents, we need to unify around policies that move the ball down the field and start helping wor- working class people. All right. Congressman Tim Ryan, we will watch your campaign in a crowded Democratic field. Thanks for having me. And we will all be back with you in a moment. Stay with us. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, Those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com slash save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com slash save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com slash save. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We're joined now by Larry Kudlow, the director of the president's National Economic Council. Larry, good to have you here. I want to ask you, the president tweeted Saturday night about what's happening at ports of entry along the southern border, saying that traffic's going to be snarled and that there could be commercial delays. There's almost $2 billion in commerce that crosses this border uh, every day. How much of an impact is this going to have? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think um, we're going to have an, an official shutdown. I think the president's been quite clear on that. He's seen some things on the Mexican side guarding their border in the south that he likes. So we seem to have some cooperation. Things may be improving slightly. It's an impossible situation. Um, all these people coming across, uh, what is it, 100,000 people now, illegals in the last month or so. It's got to be dealt with. The drug trafficking, the humanitarian problems, the economic problems, among other things. So we looked at this with great care, my colleague Kevin Hassett and I, and 
there are ways to protect economics and commerce uh, if we went into that mode, which we're not. But you're talking about a complete shutdown, which yeah. is not happening. Which I think is not happening. But these congestions we wanted to at protect the ports. freight and truck lanes right. if we could, and that is. But again, based on the president's view, uh, we're not going to go there a whole hog. But for the congestion that the president said is happening, you know, it drove up prices of avocados, certain. Uh, consumer goods. Do you see an economic impact to any of this? No, n- nothing significant at the moment. Nothing significant. Um, the worst case scenarios are off the table for the moment. When will... But I will say, I will add, people should take his... I mean, this is a key issue for him, border mm-hmm. security, the wall, and so forth, immigration reform. And when he talks about getting tough, if he has to... Those 25% tariffs on Mexican-produced autos you referenced you know, We're not there, but... People should take it quite seriously. Mexico should take it quite seriously. This is a major issue. This is, yes, drug trafficking and humanitarian. This is an economic issue, as you hinted at, and this is a national security issue. So they should take the president quite seriously. But on that threat of potentially putting tariffs on autos, doesn't this hurt the new NAFTA, the USMCA? That hasn't even passed yet, but you're leveraging threats against Mexico. Well, at the moment, I mean, again, the president has said... um, National security, border security is a major priority. The United States cannot continue the way it's been Even continuing. if it comes down to compromising passage of the USMCA. Well, I mean, Canada and Mexico still have to prove it, too. I agree. Um, I think in the, wholeness, in the fullness of time, this will all be worked out, and it will not interfere with UMCA, USMCA. That's our hope in any event. But you do have to set priorities. Sometimes you've got to make tough, short-term trade-offs. I- I'm not expecting an interference, okay? And we are somewhat optimistic about a USMCA vote. It's a very important trade deal, pro-growth in the United States, autos, domestic content, new economy stuff is very important, Uh, IP rights and patents and so forth, financial services. Uh, Bob Lighthizer, our ambassador for trade, has done a fabulous job. It's great for blue-collar workers and farmers. We broke through on dairy. I mean, we'd really love to see a vote because uh, we think we can win that. But I'm just saying um, USMCA is a very important priority. Can you get the USMCA past the Democratic-controlled House and into law before 2020? Well, look, I'm going to— It's more difficult. I agree. I'm going to play that from the optimistic side. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has been very good, very fair. Um, in fact, Bob Lighthizer— addressed the Democratic conference. Um, The speaker let him do that. That was a terrific gesture. He's been meeting with individual groups. We believe we will get a vote. And if we get a vote, we will win. I don't want to put timing on it. It's completely up to her. But she's been quite cooperative so far. So I'm going to play this from the optim side. On China, the president says we're four weeks out from a possible epic trade deal with them. What has actually been agreed upon? Well, you know, All these negotiations, we just get closer and closer. It's really interesting. We made good headway last week when Vice Premier Liu He was here. This coming week, there'll be a lot of teleconferencing among the top-tier people to continue the discussions. We're closer than we ever have been before. A lot of very difficult topics for the first time are on the table and being resolved. I think that's terribly important. The talks have been productive. I think the president here, too, expressed uh, I was in the room, uh, whatever, Thursday, guarded optimism, uh, maybe more than guarded optimism. So we're, we're gaining Chinese on Chinese say there's an IP agreement, intellectual property agreement. Is there? I can't go into details on this, but we've made great progress on the IP theft. 
We've made good progress on the um, force transfer of technology, on the ownership. There are issues outstanding, not least of which are going to be enforcement-related issues. But in each and every place, A, they've acknowledged their problems. That was a very big hurdle. And B, what wasn't on the table is on the table. And C, we're getting closer and closer. But Larry, the, the Fed, as you know, was supposed to be apolitical. Herman Cain, uh, former presidential candidate, the president says he wants to appoint him to the Federal Reserve Board. How is he qualified for that job? Well, you know, besides being a successful businessman, which is very important, you know, there was a time with the Fed. I started my career a long time ago at the New York Fed. In those days, you had farmers on the board, businessmen and women on the board, small bankers on. It wasn't all economists, okay? So that's one point. Second point, specifically, uh, Herman Cain, for many years, was on the board of the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank. more of a civic role. But you saw these sexual harassment allegations derailed his presidential. Before we get to that, he was chairman of the Kansas City Fed, and he is therefore intimately acquainted with Fed operations. And I want to make this generic point People say this is political. I don't think it's political. There may be a policy difference. We believe, the president believes, you can have low unemployment and a strong economy, as we are having, the numbers came out great on Friday, without inflation. Is he going to without pass inflation. Check? Well, look, he's being vetted by the White House. He'll be going through his hearings in the Senate Banking Committee. I, I, I'm not here to comment or litigate any of that. Uh, there are allegations out there, but there are lots of allegations in Washington that don't pan out. Well, they my, derailed his presidential bid. M- my principal point is he is qualified. He was the chairman of the Kansas City Fed. He knows a lot about the subject. All right. Larry Kudlow, always good to have you Thank here. Thank you, Margaret. We'll be right back with our panel. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 World's Most Ethical Companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. We're back with our panel for some analysis. Ben Dominich is the founder and publisher of The Federalist. Amy Walter is the national editor of The Cook Political Report. David Nakamura covers the White House for The Washington Post. And Molly Ball is national political correspondent for Time magazine. Good to have you all here. Uh, Amy, we spoke just now to one of the 2020 candidates, latest to jump into this race, Tim Ryan. Uh, were there more Democrats needed in the candidacy? <laughs> yes, it's a pretty crowded to, field. We need to have, uh, you know, an even number, maybe, of 20, <laughs> or maybe we can get to 30. And we're um, not done yet. We, have, we, we are not done yet. We still have a couple people to go. Obviously, the biggest name being Joe Biden, waiting for his announcement. Look, I think um, each one of these candidates believes that there is an opportunity to fill this vacuum right now that can 
that is out there, that there are some front runners, but they have a pretty high floor and a low ceiling at this moment. And so and everyone's waiting to see if they're going to wear well over the course of the campaign. Those two front runners, of course, being Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Is the party really looking for two 70 plus year old white men to lead their party or is there room for someone else from a different generation, a different background, et cetera, to, to fill that? I think fundamentally what's fascinating in watching where the two front runners are at this moment, who the front runners are, is how the different strains of the Democratic Party, they, the two strains of the Democratic Party they represent, with Bernie Sanders believing that the Democratic Party wants a revolution and Biden saying a restoration, a restoration of the way the things were pre-Trump. Molly, we heard the former vice president try to quiet the controversy this week, and then he seemed to start a whole new news cycle by making light of some of these allegations of making women uncomfortable uh, and how he dealt with their space or touched them at some time. I mean, has (laughs) has he derailed his own candidacy before he's even announced it? Yes, obviously. I mean, this is not what he would have preferred to have as the backdrop to his eventual announcement if that's coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, That being said, I don't think we know yet how this plays. What I hear from the majority of sort of rank and file Democrats, there's a lot of affection for Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, as as Speaker Pelosi said this week, most people don't see this as disqualifying in itself. Uh, But they want to talk about it and they want to hear him talk about it and they want to hear a satisfactory answer from him. And he hasn't necessarily provided that so far. He hasn't necessarily given people a way to think about this that satisfies the concerns. Number one, the concern about whether he understands where these women are coming from, whether he really understands what women face, uh, because that's such an issue in modern culture and because women are the majority of Democratic voters. Uh, And then the second is how it affects his potential electability. If he's going to want to be the nominee against Donald Trump, can he make an argument against Trump on these same issues where Trump has been accused of all kinds of uh, uh, unwanted touching of women. Uh, can he make that argument or will that be be nullified if, if he has similar issues? What struck me, too, was that, you know, Biden has put off making an official decision about entering this race for a number of months now. There was some sense that he would do it early this year. Now it's they were saying, you know, by the spring, maybe now after Easter, um, so his campaign or, or campaign and waiting would have had a, a chance to maybe think about some of these issues and think that these kind of things could de- potentially derail him. So not only has he allowed uh, this issue to become uh, a bigger issue than it might um, if he had been sort of more proactive in trying to address it, but they didn't seem to really have a, a thoughtful way to respond to some of the... And the, it was red meat for yes. President Trump, who tweeted that video. Yes, that, uh, that, that uh, sort of mocking uh, video of it. I think Molly's completely correct that we don't know how this is going to play yet. And this was always going to be something that was a challenge for someone who had this in such a public way. But the thing is, Biden is also viewed as being someone who's fundamentally a decent man and uh, and is respected by a lot of his uh, colleagues and people he's worked with over the years. And so it's difficult to put him in the same category as some of these other people who've engaged uh, in in bad behavior towards women. The, the other thing that I think we have to keep in mind in weighing the, the different strains of the Democratic Party that, uh, that Amy pointed out is Biden is, uh, by every measure, the most popular candidate or 
would-be candidate among African-American voters. Now, a lot of that is due to how well he worked with President Obama, but it's also due to a lot of faith and trust that they place in him. I think one of the big challenges in figuring out what the Democratic Party wants for 2020 is how those uh, voters uh, get uh, come to grips with a strain of the party that wants far more radical perspective, far more progressive policies at the center of their agenda. And those those different things that are both key parts of the Democratic coalition, suburban white voters who you know want to go in a more progressive direction, uh, African-American voters who maybe want some something that's more of a restorational approach, as Amy said, that's going to decide who ends up being their choice. Amy, what is there to what the former president, Barack Obama, said uh, about the rigidity within the Democratic Party? I mean, he's kind of saying there's, um, you know, a narrow mindedness in the liberalism of some of the, the candidates these days. Well, and you saw the Washington Post had a, a great interview with Nancy Pelosi this week as well, who's been making the case that the Democratic Party is just as dynamic as any other party. There's one piece of the party that gets a whole lot of attention. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has gotten more attention than any member of Congress, certainly any freshman that I've ever seen get this amount of attention. Bernie Sanders gets a lot of attention. But Democrats won control of Congress in 2018 because of moderate or middle-of-the-road voters who appealed to suburban Mm -hmm. voters in what were Republican-leaning districts. That is the argument for That's where the core of the party is. And Ben makes a very good point. The core of the Democratic electorate is women, as Molly said that too, African-Americans and voters of color, about 40 percent. But they're also older and It's painful saying older, meaning older than 45. Um, Apparently that's old now. But um, that's where these voters are, right? So older voters have gone, if you're over the age of 45, you've gone on the same path that Joe Biden has Mm -hmm. of what the Democratic Party has been. What was okay in 1998 isn't okay now. What was okay in 2000, not okay now. And he represents the ways in which so many Democrats have come to that point. And we're going to see, are they comfortable with that being their image. David, there's also another argument within Democratic Party circles right now, and that is kind of what do we do with the Mueller report? How do we approach the possibility of the I word impeachment? You heard Congressman Nadler there acknowledge that, you know, that's not the entire motivation, but impeachment could be a possibility in terms of what is looked at in these 400 pages if they are indeed turned over to Congress as expected. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, what you, what you saw from your interview uh, made clear that uh, I think there some Democratic leaders realized that the initial framing uh, by the, uh, the attorney general, um, you know, was, was sort of aimed to sort of tamp down the idea that Democrats would continue with these investigations. But I think some of the public polling has shown that very clearly that uh, much of the country, I think a CNN poll said over 50 percent believes uh, the report did not exonerate the president. So I think uh, Democrats are encouraged by that to maybe move forward more aggressively. And I think, uh, you know, President Trump's early suggestions that he's okay with uh, the full report coming out. Now the president himself is walking some of the back. And you heard some of that from his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who said, well, it could be public, but I don't have control of that. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, I think their message is that, you know, the president goes to the campaign rally. I was with him just last week. We were talking about a complete exoneration. Um, I think there is a sense that, you know, what else is out there? Certainly um, there's concern among his team that, um, you know, as as this comes out, it could be more more, uh, worse for him. 
But when it comes to impeachment, you know, the argument that you heard from Rudy Giuliani today and that you hear from the president and many of his defenders is that the Democrats are dying to impeach the president and they are looking for absolutely any pretext that they can get to go down that route. Uh, my impression from my reporting on uh, the Democratic leadership in the House in particular, it is exactly the opposite. They would prefer not to go down that road because they don't see it as a political winner. They see it as divisive. They, they, they are dying to find an excuse not to. However, they feel they are being led ineluctably in that direction by their investigations, by the things that they have found, by the things that we already know about the president. And so if the Democrats, through their investigations and through uh, the uh, the evidence, come to believe that, you know, that the president, uh, many of them already feel that the president has abused his power, violated the Constitution in whatever different ways, not saying that that's correct, but since they believe that, if they do truly believe that, they are going to be led ineluctably down this path, they're at least going to have to answer the question, if the president has done these things, why aren't you impeaching? Impeachment is a political decision. It's not a legal one. And politically, Molly's completely correct, the, the leadership of the Democratic Party does not want to go down that road. They they took these lessons away from the Clinton experience in the 90s, and they don't want to go in that direction uh, in this context. But there are also a lot of new members who weren't around in the 90s and don't necessarily feel that way. And they tend to be the ones who have an outsized voice within the party at the moment. And they speak for a lot of Democratic voters who, you know, frankly, the polling tells us that they were in favor of impeachment before the president was even sworn into office. So I, I think that the problem there is just the 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 loud nature of the wing of this uh, of, of the Democratic coalition that does want impeachment is not going to be tamped down on at all by what comes out of any of these investigations. And yet voters also don't seem to be swayed by anything, anything that will come out for, that has thus far come out from the Mueller report, anything that is likely to come out from the Mueller report. I mean, this president has had the narrowest trading range in terms of the highest highs he's ever had and the lowest lows he's ever had in polling. It's only 10 points. We've never seen a president with that narrow of a difference between his highs and his lows. And to me, that's not going to change. There's very... I don't know that there's anything, quite frankly, that's going to get the president's approval rating much higher than 45 percent or much lower than 35 percent, no matter what comes out through all this. And so the question in 2020 is, where is he in that range going into the election? Is he closer to the 45 percent? That's good for the president. Is he closer to the 35 percent? That's a lot better for the Democrats. So standing in the middle of Fifth Avenue, was it? Still stands. <laughs> David, uh, we did see the president uh, hit the campaign trail himself uh, in the past few days. He went out to the border in California. He went to Nevada, to Las Vegas, to this gathering, a, a Jewish Republican uh, gathering. Um, what is he trying to do here? I mean, he, he keeps characterizing the Democratic Party as anti-Jewish. Well, I mean, I think the president is, it, whether it's that issue or others, I mean, he's really trying to galvanize this base. I mean, this was a event in, in Las Vegas with um, Jewish uh, coalition, and the president talked quite a bit about his uh, policy with Israel. And, you know, he, he had... Benjamin Netanyahu, the White House, uh, just a couple weeks ago and seemed to make sort of a gut decision uh, to come out on Twitter and endorse uh, Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, which was an important issue. And some folks think it's, you know, sort of this idea to help uh, Netanyahu win re-election. But it's also you know, Trump himself, you know, has, has been, you know, really sort of messaging to that uh, base of support. And so uh, he combined a, an issue with the border, uh, where obviously that he believes that's going to be a, a key issue here as well. So um, he's really playing to the 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 group of 40% that uh, he believes really will carry him uh, through this cycle. 
And what is the status of Jared Kushner's Middle East peace plan? Because as you yeah. say, the president has endorsed some pretty hardline right. viewpoints, though they were very popular in Israel. Right. And this is a long-standing uh, peace plan that's been worked on, according to the administration, for a long time, the, the, the you know, granddaddy of deals. Uh, but it seems like it's somewhat, you know, being considered dead on arrival at this point. I mean, the president, you know, you hear a reaction from the Arab states that say, you know, they're, they're, if this is a kind of rollout of a peace plan where the president is endorsing uh, very closely the Israeli point of view already, um, they don't see a lot of uh, potential success for this. Or at least Benjamin Netanyahu's mm-hmm. uh, point of view. Uh, and he said, I guess, in the past 24 hours that he would annex the West Bank right, if absolutely. he is reelected, um, which the administration has not commented on. Um, but Ben, sorry, Amy, did you want to comment on that? Well, I, I just also wanted to go into the point about the, the 40 percent where the president's choosing to, to lean in on. I mean, the one place where the president does have high approval ratings, it's not on foreign, foreign affairs. It's not on immigration or immigration policy. It's the economy where his mm-hmm. approval ratings have consistently been nine, ten points higher than his overall approval rating. And yet he seems to just be unable or unwilling to lean into that and spend, most presidents would be spending 99% of their time doing nothing but that. Right. He is doing everything but talking about If anything, about I mean, that. you shut down the government for 35 days. Right. You had uh, Larry, Talking about shutting down the border? Yeah, you had Larry Kudlow here talking about he didn't know what would happen or trying to sort of find lanes of, uh, that would stay open right. on a border shutdown to try to keep that economy going. The president tends to you know, sometimes be his own worst enemy in that regard. Why is the president messaging on immigration this week and messaging on, well, I guess health care was on and then it was off uh, in terms of before or after 2020? He, he, Why talks, do that? he talks about whatever he wants to talk about. He doesn't necessarily he doesn't listen to anybody who wants him to talk about the economy or something like that. Of course, to Amy's point, you know, any other Republican administration right. would be hammering it away on this. Right. Uh, instead, he just, you know, he sees something and he goes after it. it it's it's and he's never going to stop. Right. And so we shouldn't expect him to. Right. Get ready for the re-election campaign. All right. It's what he loves. Thanks to all of you. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler, 2020 presidential candidate Tim Ryan, and White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can... If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Some puzzles are hard to solve. Others are hard to prove. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts.